the most human thing that all of us do is to cry. When we enter this world as babies, when we leave the warm womb and enter into the cold delivery room, we cry, we shed tears. And at the end of people's lives, when we go to funerals, we cry for the loss of those that are no longer with us. And in between the beginning and the ends of life, we all experience forms of grief and sorrow. None of us can escape this. What's interesting is we live in a Western world where the focus often, however, is to find ways to mitigate crying, to escape it, to stifle it. Western culture's uh, idea of masculinity is all about not showing any emotion, not shedding any tears. When you look at funerals done in the United States versus funerals all around the world, the rest of the world in their funerals, there's lots of wailing, crying, tears flowing. It's a, it's a much louder affair. And for us, it's very silent. And very often, people stifling what's really going on in their hearts. You know, how our world tends to deal with grief is very often unlike how God's people in Scripture dealt with sadness and pain. The Bible gives us a picture of people who come who wrestle with their sorrow and their sadness before God. And the category, or what we call that, is lament. It's called lament. And we see it throughout Scripture. Lament is a grief that goes or takes people to God. And it's not something the American church does very well. You know, when we have, we've, we, the American church has this faith that has been welded to this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when those are the core values or chief attributes of the American Christian faith, then there will be no space or time for grief and sorrow. And unfortunately, so much of the church at large here has molded itself with that in mind. And so, if anything, our churches are too often focused on trying to escape our grief and our sorrow, find ways to move on quickly, to turn the page on it, or to cover over all of that. But the reality is, is if in our life we all will suffer, and all will suffer some form of pain, then the best time and the best way to learn how to deal with all this is not after it happens, but before it does. And so that's what we're going to do for the next two months. As a church, we're going to explore what it means to lament as we see it in Scripture, how lament is not opposed to true biblical worship, but lament actually leads us into deeper realer worship. And so we're going to begin today by looking at Psalm 77 to help us define what lament looks like. First, we see that lament speaks. In verses 1 and 3 of our passage, the psalmist is pouring his heart out. But you notice he's not doing a play-by-play -play of what are the different events and what are the different ways in which he's suffered. 
You know, I think sometimes I hear uh, and think about the prayers of those who are going through a hard time. And if anything, it's almost like a newsreel or a documentary of here are the X, Y, Z things that have happened that make me sad. But instead, the psalmist actually gives us no context for his pain. But instead, he fully dives in to the emotional heartbreak that he's suffering through. Even in verse 4, he says, I'm speechless. And yet, even in saying that, he's voicing this confusion and bewilderment of his soul. Pastor Russell Moore writes about his time visiting a Romanian orphanage where he was looking to adopt. And as they entered into the nursery of the orphanage, you would expect constant wailing and crying of babies, either hungry or looking to be comforted. But what he noticed was, and the most terrifying thing he shares, is the stunning silence of all the babies not uttering a single word or a cry as they walked in to the orphanage nursery. All the babies made no noise because they had all lost hope that anyone would ever hear them when they cry, that anyone would come to comfort them. You know, we have this fear sometimes of offending God if we tell him how we really feel. And we begin to worry about maybe I might say the wrong thing. I might upset God if I don't say this the right way or if I express something that maybe he's not going to like. And so we end up usually saying nothing at all. And, and what's at work there is this issue we have, this, this wrong-headed idea that somehow we think lament, the opposite of lament is joy or celebration. But that's not the case. You know, we, th we think, you know, if I can't show a happy face for Jesus, I'm not going to show my face at all to Jesus. But the reality is it takes faith to cry out to God in good and bad, in joy and in pain. It takes faith to believe that you will be heard no matter what you say. And so that's why true lament is actually very, is, it's Christian in its very core, in its nature. Lament Lament means you know who you're talking to. You're not speaking out to a faceless void, but to the God himself, but to the God who can do something about it, who can help you. And that's why, that's why lament is the most Christian way to grieve, the most Christian way to deal with your sorrow. Because the opposite of lament isn't joy, it's despair, it's silence, it's refusing to come to God. You're refusing to speak because you think nobody's there, because you think nobody will hear you. And our psalmist knows that God hears, and so that's why he can be honest with his pain. And that's why he laments. Do you believe God hears you when you cry? That's lament. Do you go to him when, if, with your deepest doubts and struggles? and worries, and cry out to him. That's lament. And that is exactly what God desires for us to do. Lament speaks, but it also confronts. It confronts our pains. It doesn't avoid it, but it enters into them. You know, after speaking out his pain, the psalmist in verses 7 through 9, he begins asking these rhetorical questions asks, that he, he, in essence, really does know the answer to. Right? You see here, he asks, uh, has God's steadfast love forever ceased? It's, it's hard to believe that the psalmist doesn't know that that's 
that's not true. That somehow God stopped loving him. And yet, what you see here is him struggling with the dissonance between what he knows versus what he feels. Right? And that's what lament is all about. It's confronting these two things. Lament gives voice to that paradox, that struggle of where I know who God is, I know the character of the God I trust in, and yet I don't feel that way right now. And lament deals with that. It, it's, it sits in between those as we sit in between that. Author Mark Vrogup defines lament this way. Lament is the honest cry of, her, of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. It is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. This is why despair and denial don't allow God to be present in your pain. Because it says, God, I'm not going to let you in. God, I will not allow you to be a part of this process. Whether that's because you're afraid you're going to offend God or because you simply don't believe he's there anymore. But lament, lament calls upon and marshals the, the powers of heaven saying, God, Lord, be with me, fight for me, confront my sorrow and my misery for me and with me. And that's what the psalmist does. Verse 10, he then says what? In light of all these rhetorical questions, he says, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. And so what he's doing is he begins that shift. He says, the right, remember the right hand of God is where the power, the might, in which God demonstrates his uh, sovereignty and his um, just his grandeur and lordship over all creation. And, and the psalmist is saying, I'm going to appeal and remember the years in which God has demonstrated this to me and to my people. And he goes on in the verses after from 11 to 20, recalling the biggest moment in which God's, God fights for Israel, where, where God defends Israel in the midst of its greatest misery. And that's the exodus, this momentous paradigm-shifting story of God's salvation of his people. The psalmist says, I'm going to remember the years in which he showed it. And those years were the, the time in the wilderness where God was not silent. And the psalmist then, in light of that, says, I know my God will not be silent even in my worst moments because he was not silent in the worst moment of my people's history. And for us, the good news of the gospel is that who is at the right hand of God now? Who, who stands in the presence of God appealing on our behalf? It's Jesus Christ himself. Jesus who is the greater exodus. And the good news is that Jesus himself knows lament all too well. For the cross shows us that he didn't just rescue us from suffering, but he experienced the very worst of it. He knows our misery. He knows our pain. The very questions that are asked by uh, the psalmist here in verses 7 through 9 are the same type of questions Jesus asked while he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in light of the cross, but then also the resurrection, we see the promise that we are not condemned to eternal pain so long as we trust in him. That there is a point where God says to pain and suffering, no more, enough. You don't get to touch this person 
any more. Biblical lament is the appeal to God, the trusting of, of God, that He will step in and do what is right, that He will confront our misery and our pain for us in Jesus. Biblical lament is that tightrope that walks between our pain and sorrow and the promise of God that eventually leads us into worship. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go deeper into what that looks like. We're going to explore what lament should look like for each and every one of us and what are the lessons and ways in which, uh, as lament works in our hearts, how we might enter into deeper worship with Jesus. So one of the things I do want to, in essence, warn you or even challenge you to think about is this. Over that time, the next couple of months, there might be past memories or past hurts that might get stirred up for you. Previous pains that might come to the forefront as we practice and learn to lament. Understand this, lament is not just an individual thing. It's corporate by nature. It's something the people of God have always done together. And so while our sufferings for each and every one of us might be different, the doubts and the questions that arise are the same. And more importantly, the God who saves, the God that we are led into worship to by lament is the same. So don't remain in silence if you are working through something these next couple weeks. Don't go about it alone. Talk to your friends, talk to your pastors, talk to your your small groups, talk to people. Work through that and lament together. Lord knows we have so much to be lamenting right now. But do that together as we go and seek the Lord in the practice of lament. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you that God, you are, are not afraid to hear what we have to say that you are not shocked by the words of our lips. For you know our our deepest desires and our biggest struggles. And in Christ, Lord, we, we know that you know our greatest pains, our sorrows and miseries. You know our confusion and bewilderment when we see a world that's falling apart and yet hear the promise that you are putting all things back together. We thank you that, God, you've given us lament as a gift, a grace by which we might find hope and healing and we might be led into deeper worship of you. So, Father, walk with us in this time over the next couple of months. Father, I pray for those who might unearth uh, some really deep, uh, long-denied or long-ignored pains, that, God, we as a church would come alongside one another, support one another, and lament and grieve together so that we might heal in Christ as one body, moving forward to the glory of your name. And Father, we end at this time this prayer by praying the prayer that you taught us to pray in one voice and as one church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.